Uh, it's great to be here. How many of you are freshmen this year? Just getting an idea. So, okay, awesome. You know, you are in for an amazing treat um, here at, at, at Montana Bible College. It is, uh, I, I've only been, been affiliated or known the school for just a few short years, but uh, my take on it has been that the, the equipping work that goes on to prepare you for the practical side of ministry and, you know, the relational side with Jesus Christ and the, and the practical development, the, comp, the character and the competencies that can be developed and um, here are just amazing to see. And, and really, when you look at how this translates into effective ministry across um, the, the years of, of Montana Bible College, I'd love to see a study on that sometime to, to see and, and, and to really, but to hear the, the feedback of how God has used Montana Bible College in the lives of so many people is just amazing and encouraging. And, and well, I think I just ruined this thing. So, yeah, okay, it must have been made in Montana or Utah. Utah, there it is, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I was doing fine until we, until I got, you know, had a flashback to that game. And I know I have not, I have not looked at ESPN at the, at the highlights. I'm convinced he was out of, he, he, he went down in inbounds or, or ahead of the goal line, not behind the goal line. So, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> any excuse to uh, have the Huskers win because that's the only way they can win. Um, we did beat the USA long this past Saturday though. So um, that's the University of Southern Alabama. Has anybody ever heard of that school? Ne- Oh, you have? Okay, I didn't even know if it was a legitimate school or not. They've only been playing football for like five years. And, <laughs> and we almost beat them. <laughs> oh, it is great. Um, you know, I, I, um, I can relate to you being, I'm actually still in school. Um, I'm in my, uh, finishing up my 10th year of post-high school education. Um, I can tell you what that means. It means I'm broke and brain dead um, because uh, the thing's called syllabus and syllabi in the plural, and you all have syllabi. You have lots of them, and, um, and, and they come at you, and you look at those things and it's like, are you serious? i got to do this over four years. And they go, no, this is one class for one semester. And um, so I can relate with you a little bit there and, and uh, sympathize with you. The, the theme this year... It, at the school is the sufficiency of Christ. Think about that for just a minute. The sufficiency of Jesus Christ. What an amazing, what a powerful theme that that is. Because really, isn't that the theme of our entire lives, coming to the point of understanding the, the, the very sufficiency of Jesus Christ for this life and for the life to come? And that, that's it. And what better transformation could we ask that God provide in your lives over the course of this year that we come to rest in the sufficiency of Christ? And and I love that topic. You can look at it theologically in the New Testament. It's a slam dunk. I mean, seriously, Jesus is sufficient. He's sufficient for all of our needs for now and all of our needs for tomorrow, if we will, for eternity. And, And we can categorize that and we can explore that. What a foundational and fundamental study that is. And what a great need. I mean, you look at the things going on in our world today and how we're looking for leaders in in an election year and politicians are going up, they're they're nodding their their hat or their heads to the evangelicals and and wanting the votes to say, I'm on your side, I want to be your leader, I want to lead you in the paths that make our nation great and all. And And we kind of long for that. We rally behind those types of things. Because we long, we long for a sufficient leader. And yet we already have a sufficient leader, don't we? 
You know, I just want to thank the praise team for the worship. You know what would always scare me is, is, is being asked to stand up and speak and open up God's Word without time of worship and preparation ahead of time. That is so amazing. For those of you that have spoken know exactly what I'm talking about, to be able to, to, be able to worship the Lord and to sing songs of theological truth and praise to God and, um, and just before coming up and opening up His Word, to be able to pray together is so, so foundational. And so thank you for that. But, um, but the sufficiency of, of Christ is such, a, such an important topic. Think about um, you know, how we long for... You ever long for just like a, like a Christian athlete who can really do something? I mean, somebody who, can, who, who is good, but he also has an, a strong voice for, for Jesus Christ because we, we kind of long to flock to those things. And like lately, we've had some that have been like up there, good, strong leaders. And they've just kind of, uh, just kind of went over the edge and we long for that. Or, or movies, wow. How many of you just like long for a great movie to come out of Hollywood that, that really presents the, the sufficiency of Christ and, and, and in a powerful way and and, and it's always these disappointments when I go see the movie. It's like, oh, I know, it's just, it's just so... And you long for this. You long for this powerful statement that says, here we are, you know, and, and, and we're part of a movement, and, and we're part of the thing that God is doing and in, in the, in the auspices of this all-sufficient Savior in this world, and we long to be identified with this thing, and... And maybe you don't, but I do, and, and I struggle with that. But, but where my struggle meets truth is in John chapter 6. And I want to I focus in and hone in on a verse there with you. If you have your Bibles, open to the sixth chapter of John's Gospel. Because when I think about the sufficiency of Christ, John 6 comes screaming to my mind. You probably know it as a great discourse on Jesus, the bread of life. And his disciples, uh, the great multitude uh, of, of at least 5,000, been following him around for weeks and on the, on the shores of Galilee and teaching and, and learning, watching miracles being performed. And, and here they were, clear up on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they're there on a green hillside. And they were meeting there, and there was no bread. And you learn the story in Sunday school. And, and um, Philip's like, hey, we got like 200 denarii. How are we going to find a, enough bread to buy enough bread to feed these people? They're hungry. And, and this, all we got is this little kid with five loaves and two fish. And you know the story. And, and they multiply the loaves and the fish. And 5,000 people are sitting down and they're fed. And there's 12 baskets of, of leftovers. And you acted that out in, in Sunday school class. And that's kind of the, the backdrop of John 6. And, and, the, and the message that's really going on in this in this passage, is Jesus, is Jesus sufficient only for time, or is he sufficient for both time and eternity? Is Jesus fill our body, or does Jesus fill our heart? And, and there's this great discourse that comes on. Jesus says in, in John 6, I don't, I don't want to be the God who just fills the temporary needs of your life. I don't want to be the God who supplies you breakfast, but doesn't supply you with an eternal relationship that profits an eternal kingdom and a spirit spiritual kingdom. And John 6 is a, an opportunity for us to kind of look in the mirror of God's Word and, and examine some motives. And so here they were on the hillside and, and the disciples get in a boat. They go across from the northeast side to the northwest side to Capernaum. And, and, and they, they get in the boat. Jesus is still there. 
He'd retreated, went up on a mountainside to pray. He looked across the lake. Jesus sees in the dark. It's amazing. That's theological too. Jesus looked in the dark and saw the disciples struggling against a huge storm. And he goes booking it out across the sea on foot, across the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, and jumps in the boat, and immediately the boat's in Capernaum. I'm going to ask one day how that happened. That's one of those things. Well, I know when I see Jesus, I may not care. But how that happened, you just got in the boat, boom, they're in Capernaum. Immediately they were there. And this multitude is left sitting on the hillside, gathering their baskets of fragments and wondering what just happened, you know. And they saw that the boat that Jesus was in had left, and, or, or the disciples was in, but they, didn't, they, didn't, they knew Jesus didn't go with them, so where is he at? And they start looking around. And they finally come across the sea back to Capernaum and pick up the narrative in, in John chapter 6 and verse 25. They'd come across the sea, this is the next day, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? When did you come here? How in the world did you get from there to here? And we didn't know about it. And notice the response of Jesus. This this is like a hinge in this entire chapter on the discourse of the bread of life. Because with this next words, Jesus is going to appeal back the motives of those who follow him between that which is right and that which is wrong. And in essence, he's going, to, he's going to ask us, are we part of the 4,989 or are we part of the 11? Because that's where this chapter divides. He, he's presenting two groups of people. The 4989, which I call this the feeding of the 4989, not the feeding of the 5,000. But the feeding of the 4989 or the feeding of the 11. And notice what he says in verse 20, 26. And Jesus answered them and said to them, when I asked them, how'd you get here? He says, most assuredly I say to you, here it is, that you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. What an amazing insight into the motivation of a group of 4,989 people. Obviously there was more and let me say this, that not all of the 5,000 had this motive. It's a figurative picture of a multitude that's looking after Jesus and searching for Jesus with the wrong motives. I want to be a part of a movement. I want to be a part of something big. I want to be a part of a multitude. And Jesus says, what is the motive of your heart? You see, he says, you seek me for the wrong reasons. You're putting temporary comfort over eternal commitment. Ouch. That passage has stung me many times in ministry. It's like Mark as I look into the mirror of the Word of God and listen listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, speak through His Word, and say, Mark, what are the motives of you being in ministry? I mean, really, let's just, just between you and between you and I, what are the motives? Are you fulfilling a desire for, for power, for prominence, for wealth? <laughs> it's not for that, for, for all of those things. I mean, we have to check our motives because here is a group of 5,000 people and from all appearances, these people swam across the ocean to see Jesus. Okay, it was a lake. Okay, they probably were on boats or they walked around or whatever the case. 
But they wasted no time in looking like followers of Jesus and outwardly they looked like it. But inwardly their motivation, their motivation was wrong. They put temporary comforts over eternal commitment. Jesus calls them on it. You seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you had lunch. Here's how they'd answer the question. Who do you say that I am? They would say, you're a meal ticket. <laughs> and Jesus called them on that. I love how Jesus answers the question of his own sufficiency in the word of God by asking this question. Who do you say that I am? Do you remember the words to Peter in, in, in Matthew 16? You know, who do, who do others say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist and Elijah and, and, and Jeremiah. Uh, and no, no, Peter, who do you say that I am? Because who we say Jesus is determines, I think, in Scripture at least, a picture of our view of His sufficiency in our life. If He's sufficient only for a meal, then He truly isn't sufficient for anything else. Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was the right answer. It was the right answer. You remember Martha at the tomb of Lazarus or near the tomb on the road. Oh, Lord, if you'd not been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked the question, do you believe this? What was her response? I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into this world. You see, our view of Jesus is a picture of our of His sufficiency in our life. It matters how we see Jesus. And here they, they didn't see Him in the right way. Fast forward on to, well, let me go to the next verse here. I don't want to miss that. Stumble over verse 27. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but the food which endures to everlasting life. There's the, con there's the, there's the difference which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Verse 28, Then they said to him, let's go, let's take another avenue, wrong motivation number two, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? What happened to this? We went from food to prominence, or power. They saw Jesus, they followed him, he was a, he was a cult figure. And this multitude's following, we want to do what he does. We want to raise the dead and heal the sick and, and draw attention to ourselves. We want crowds to follow us. You know, and we, and, we, and we think that we haven't come to that in this own, in our own country, in our own world. And somehow we think bigness is greatness and multitudes of people equate sufficiency and success. And, and we come to John 6 and it's not because it's 4,989 verses 11 in this passage. They put personal power over faith. Verse 28 or verse 29, Jesus answered and said to him, This is the work of God that you believe in whom he sent. Isn't that amazing? People strive for all the gifts and skills and abilities and all those things. Why? Why? Jesus says, You want to do the works of God? Here's the works of God. Believe in him and believe in him whom he sent. Believe in me. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That, isn't that simple? That makes, it, that makes everybody on a level playing field that you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that it's faith in Him. It's not about doing the great things and being this great person. It's about, it's about believing in Him. And I love that picture in a world of false disciples. Jesus is asking the same question. You know, am, am I sufficient for life or not? The end of this matter comes in verse 66. Actually, verse, verse 60 and following. Verse 60, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, he just got done telling them, you need the bread of life, that's me, not the bread from the basket. And like, you, know, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you have to be part of me. I'm giving myself to you. And you have to receive me. That's the, that's the eternal bread of life. And they said, this is a hard saying. We can't understand it. Who, who could possibly understand this? And, and they somehow use rationalism as this, as this excuse for not being able to believe. Or, or saying it's just too hard. I, I don't understand it, so let's just give it up. And then notice in verse 66. Jesus from that time forward, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Unbelief is a, uh, w- was the predominant thing in their life. They, they, they could not believe, they could not understand, they were not willing, and so they just, they just turned around and walked with him no more. And here's, here's another hinge of verse 67. I'm moving through this very quickly. But I want you to see this. Because this is where it turns to you. Jesus spoke to the 49.89 before. Now he's speaking to the 11. And, and, and here it is. You know, let me ask you. Bozeman's a city of, of what? 35,000, 40,000 people. Okay? We have 100 people in here. You're outnumbered 4,000 to one. No. 400 to one. I don't know. I'm not good at math. Somebody's good at math. Figure out that. Okay, you're outnumbered, okay? 49.89 to 11. Okay, you get the picture. That's the, that's the difference. And you see 4,989 people going this way. What are you going to do? And Jesus turns to the 11 and he says, What about you? Are you going to go too? What about you? Are you going to leave? And notice the response. Students, this is significant. Listen to this response. In, in verse 68, here's Peter. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Listen, the sufficiency of Jesus isn't related to being a winner in the political scene, being a winner in the sports scene, being a winner in the, uh, in the movie scene, in the Hollywood scene. It's not about being a winner as far as being a part of the largest church, the largest school. It's about this. It's about the recognition that Jesus Christ is sufficient and there's no other options if you're part of the 11. To whom shall we go? Lord, no one else has the words of eternal life but you. You are part. Listen, you represent God's academy, God's training regiment for this next generation of ministry. You're the ones He's chosen. You are it. You're here being prepared and shaped and, and, and building relationships and learning about yourself and, and all the little peculiarities of yourself and, and, and the frailties of yourself, but you're learning about this, the sufficiency of Jesus, and that's what really matters. That's what really matters. Peter says, who else shall we go to? Lord, only you have the words of eternal life. 
And notice what he says in verse 69. He says, also, we have come to believe and know what? That you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's a pretty good argument that could be made that the, the, the narrative in Matthew 16 is it happened at the same time simultaneously with this narrative in John 6. And if so, the next words out of Jesus' mouth, and he said, And thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I think speaking of himself, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, Jesus says, I'll take 11 people who believe in the sufficiency of me and put them against 4,989 who don't, who just want me to be a meal ticket. And we look in the mirror of our own lives and we ask ourselves the questions. What group am I a part of? Am I part of the 4989? Or am I going to be part of the 11? Because Peter, Peter points to the sufficiency of Jesus when he says that we have come to believe in the... Any, any Greek students here, are you still teach that in this school? Or did we just forget that? <laughs> Perfect tense verb. Oh yeah, yeah, you're shaking your head. You're like, yeah, we already know it. We got this one exegeted, right? It's something that happened in the past. It's a finished action in the past that has results that continue on through the present and future. Cool. We have come to know and to believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and it's made a difference in our lives. It happened back then that knowledge happened, and it has ongoing, continuing results. Therefore, I'm able to raise my hand and say, I'm part of the 11. That's really the idea that's going on here. And here's my prayer for you, and then we're leaving. Here's my prayer for you, that this year, that each of you would come to believe and to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's, that's the goal of Bible college. That's it. Because when you come to believe and to know that, you've rested in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. I don't know what kind of things you're going to face throughout your four years that you're here. And I know that students are, face, face a lot of, of trials. There's a lot of things with parents and home and relationships and past. There's a lot of things that go on. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pull that says, you know what? It just might be easier to climb back over the fence and be part of the 4989, to be a part of the, those that just quit following Jesus. I would suggest to you this that use this time, even if you're in your last year, use this semester, begin right now to become part of the 11 rather than the 4989. The 11 that are assured and convinced that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. And really, where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go? Father, we love you. Lord, um, John 6 hits us in our heart, Lord. It hits us between the eyes. It does me. Because I'm tempted to be part of the multitude, Lord, to fit in.
But you didn't call us. You just called us to believe and to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as we rest in that sufficiency, I pray, Lord, that you would make all the difference in the lives of students uh, this semester and this year. I humbly ask it and praise you for it in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, our all-sufficient Savior and Lord.